Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. You like the Just Baseball show and want to make your own? Let me tell you about Anchor. It's free. There's a creation tool that allows you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Now you can even add any song from Spotify directly to your episodes. The possibilities are endless for what you can create, whether it's music analysis, your own radio show, or something the world's never seen before. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and much more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Friday the 13th. Is that scary? Ooh. It is Friday the 13th, isn't it? Yeah. Do you care? Uh, Like, do you wake up in the morning and say, oh shit, Friday the 13th? I don't even know what today is, so there's no way I would know anything about Friday the 13th. I don't wake up like that and ever really consider it. I I usually don't even know the date. The only reason I know the date is when I make is when I make my picks. 16 and 4 in the last one. He had to sneak that in there. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I'm not I'm not a big date guy. Hey, you were 14 and 4 over your last 16. Wasn't that hilarious? No, it wasn't. It was, it was kind of funny. It was I, embarrassing I, you know, for you. I was embarrassed for you. I didn't feel embarrassed, which I guess is a good thing. I, I felt like it was just a little misjoke, and everyone was like, oh, all on me about it. I was like, oh, I just kind of messed up a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> 14 and bad. 4 over your last 16 but now it's a real number you're 16 and 4 over your last 20 that's incredible we got the math right but i do have the brewers cubs under today and it's 5-1 in the second so okay well we're recording on thursday the 12th pre field of dreams game um <laughs> How do you feel about this? It's our Super Bowl. This weekend is our Super Bowl. White Sox, right? Yankees. But. I don't know. The NFL goes to London and Mexico City, and baseball goes to the farm. Hey, folks. Jack recording after the Field of Dreams game. Uh, shout out Tim Anderson. And Major League Baseball did this right. It was perfect. The production was awesome. And T.A. walked it off. All right, now back to uh, the podcast and us complaining about it before it happened. Well, don't 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 discredit them that much. I mean, the Yankees and White Sox are playing in Iowa for the Field of Dreams, but they also played in London. The Yankees have played the Red Sox in London, so they've done things like that. But, you know, we're in Dyersville, Iowa right now. Well, we're not, but it'd be kind of cool if we were. But the Yankees and White Sox are playing tonight, but which you'll hear this episode tomorrow, the Field of Dreams game. What are your thoughts on Field of Dreams? Do you even like the movie? I do like the movie. It's not actually in my top five baseball movies. I just put together a quick list of top five baseball movies because I wanted to see where Field of Dreams stacked up. Number one is Moneyball. Moneyball is one of my favorite movies of all time. That's my number one as well. Number two is The Sandlot. That's my number two as well. Nice. Number three is 42. I thought Chadwick Boseman was amazing in it. That's a solid top three so far. But, but then number four is Fever Pitch, because I think it's hilarious. It is kind of funny. Okay, I like and that And then one. number five is The Benchwarmers, because I think that's hilarious. See, The Benchwarmers should be four. The Benchwarmers is one of the greatest comedies of all time. It's hilarious. My favorite, favorite quote ever from The Benchwarmers was where um, 
the guy, I forget his name. He has the white bowl cut. He's sitting in the dugout. And Howie. They need, Howie. <laughs> they need a player because all three of the guys, all three of the bench warmers are on base. So they, they only have three players on their team. So they need another one. So they say, what about that kid eating sunscreen in the dugout? <laughs> and it just flashes to Howie. Just, <laughs> just, oh my God, that makes me die laughing every single time I watch it. It's so funny. I bet. Ooh, is that apple juice? No. <laughs> no. He comes out of the closet. Oh, so funny. Yeah, that's my top five. Uh, Field of Dreams is on the outside looking in. I would say it's in like the seven to 10 range. I understand why it is romanticized the way it is in baseball because it's, oh, stick to the roots of America's pastime. You can play it out on the farm, build this field. Kevin Costner was good in the movie, but I don't really understand why this was a high priority for Major League Baseball. I don't either. I like it. Like I don't think either of us are like, oh, they shouldn't have done it. But it also is a little strange that only one game takes place in Iowa and then they go back to Chicago to play the rest of the series. They don't even play it fully out. I assume it all boils down to the same factor, money. Oh, yeah. Now, I, I, this is all based around money, it seems like to me, but it was supposed to happen in 2020. Now it's happening in 2021. Yeah, I don't really get it either. Do you? Um, I get it for the, the one-off purposes. Yeah, I actually more. do really understand the one game as opposed to a three-game set because the viewership for game one versus game two would plummet. Yeah, Nobody so would watch game two after game one. Do you think less people would watch game two if they were, if it was in Chicago? Like, do you think if they played game two in Iowa versus game two in Chicago, which one would get more views? Game two in Iowa would, but also think about the capacity. I think it's also, you know, COVID, COVID hurting a lot of teams. They want it. The White Sox need to retain as much money as possible. You know, I mean, there's millions and millions of dollars that are made from season ticket holders and food and beverages and all that kind of stuff. So right. I, it, it's money. It's all money. It's all money. And you're, you're taking one game away from the ticket office. Can we talk about one player, though, that shows up in that movie? Shoeless Joe Jackson. I was looking through his stats first. I mean, Shoeless Joe Jackson, say whatever you want. But it's funny. In 1921, a Chicago jury actually acquitted all of them, but they still got the lifetime ban. Shoeless Joe Jackson, as we remember the Black Sox scandal of 1919. Dude, he hit 408 in 1911 as a 23-year-old. He hit, in his last season in 1920, he hit 382. And in that 1919 season, he hit 351 with a 422 on base slugged 506 even though he only hit seven home runs that year shoeless joe jackson is kind of one of an all-time is an all-time great almost he is he hit over 400 and he was yeah. in his low 20s um yeah i mean shoeless joe it, it, that is what the socks were going for they were they were going for the shoeless joe look and then what were they going for on the yankee side are they going for murderers row what do you mean by that the jersey oh. Oh yeah. I don't know. Like, I don't, I don't know. Like, I don't really know what they're going for. I think they were going for what was depicted in field of dreams. And my thought on that obviously was shoeless Joe Jackson. I'm thinking it was Gehrig, uh, Gehrig, Ruth, whoever. I think that's yeah. what they're going for. I so, guess it makes sense. We also have a pack show today. We're we walking pack show. We're welcoming on Arm Layton to talk about the biggest breakout prospects offensively this season. And we're also welcoming on our newest contributor, Ryan Finkelstein, who hosts the Locked On Mets. We're going to talk about his new article about how David Wright, the time from when David Wright retired to now has not been very nice for the Mets in terms of third base, but they have a couple prospects that I want to talk with him about. Yeah, that's what we got today. What are you thinking? It's going to be cool. By the way, he's Peter Apple. I'm Jack McMullen. This is the Just Baseball Show about seven or eight minutes into the show. Uh, Today is Friday, August 13th. Yeah, this is a great lineup. You know, I like talking prospects. I'm excited to talk about that because I think that David Wright with the Mets is very similar to a couple of other scenarios. Ichiro with the Mariners, right? Once Ichiro left... 
where are the Mariners? It's a good point. And where are the Mariners outfielders in general? I feel like the positional thing is a big thing too. It is. I mean, now we see with the Mariners, with Julio Rodriguez coming up, Jared Kelnick coming up, Kyle Lewis. They still have Taylor Trammell as well. Now they're starting to build that outfield. But it took for a, long a while, time. it was pretty barren. It took a long time. And Mitch Hanniger might have been the closest thing to a serviceable replacement. And he's been pretty good. He has a bunch of home runs this year. Yeah, good, good for Mitch Hanniger. Happy trails to steal a line from Pardon the Interruption. Chris Davis of the Baltimore Orioles just announced his retirement today. I don't know how to view his career. Congratulations on a great career or thank God it's finally over for the Orioles sake. They still owe him a ton of money. I'm sure they agreed to some sort of exit sum. Yeah, they agreed. So they have to pay the remaining year of his contract, which is about 17 million. And instead of paying him one lump sum, they're going to kind of branch it out over the next couple of years. I mean, Chris Davis, it's an interesting story, right? 2012 to 2016, he was one of the best hitters in baseball, crushing home runs. And actually, like, hitting 270, 280, this was not a three-true outcome guy who just only strikes out, hits home runs, and walks. His walk rate was fine, but it was really his ability to hit for a decently high batting average, but that just plummeted in 2017, 2018, 2019. And now we see him retiring because he's still coming back from a hip issue that's kept that kept him out of 2020 entirely. And he hasn't played a single game this season. It just seems like injuries kind of derailed a career that was pretty plentiful for those couple of years. And I don't want, I know we kind of bagged on Chris Davis a little bit because he's making seven years, 161 million and hasn't really produced during that contract, or at least not to the level that the Orioles expected him to. But we also should remember that he hit 53 home runs and then two years after hit 47 home runs, led the league in home runs. He was a high war guy, but everything just kind of came crashing down a little bit. Yeah, 33 bombs in 2012, 53 led all of Major League Baseball 2013, follows with 26 in a bit of a condensed year, uh, followed with 47 in 2015. That led the league, had 138 driven in in 2013. 117 driven in in 2015. And this is a guy that at the peak would play close to 160 games. He played 160 games even in 2013 and 2015. Absolutely worth that seven-year north of $20 million annually commitment that he got at time of signing. You cannot predict that the injuries are going to hit him the way they did. No, You can predict that the bat is going to die down a little bit, You cannot predict how bad it was. And just a, I don't want to keep piling on, but from in his peak, he was striking out around a 31%. He was striking out a 31%. It's not good, but it's not terrible if you're hitting 270 and you hit 40 to 50 home runs. But from 2017, 2018, 2019, he set records for strikeout rates. Each each of those years, it was above 35%. He set the record his first year and then beat it in 2019. He struck out almost 40% in 2019 over it's about 300 plate appearances or 300 at-bats. That's just too many strikeouts. I mean, you're striking out four out of every 10 times. That's just not going to do it, Chris Davis. I'm sorry. I used to hate taking jabs at Javi Baez, but now I kind of love taking jabs at Javi <laughs> Baez. 400 plate appearances in 2021, 398 coming into tonight. He's got a 36.4% strikeout rate. Like that would beat Chris Davis's 2017 season. That's like I don't think people realize how, how many times Javi Baez is truly striking out. It's incredible. Oh, perfect segue. Let's talk Mets with Ryan Finkelstein now. Ryan Finkelstein is the host of Locked on Mets. He's also brand new into the Just Baseball Mafia. Pete, I mean, this is a ringer that we just brought in. Ryan, are you good at at slow pitch softball by chance? (laughs) You know, uh, I'm all right hitting, but I I will be a terrible fielder out there. Just awful. Get in my head a little bit. What position would you play? You know, you want to stick me at somewhere on the right side of the field. You don't want me with all those pull hitters. Stick me at second base maybe, and I'll, I'll do all right out there, but you don't want the ball hit at me. 
see, that's what I've been doing. I'm, I'm in a beer league softball team. I'm, my, my pro comp is probably Shohei because I'm an excellent pitcher on the mound working go. four pitches, slow pitch Four pitches and slow pitch softball. I got a change up cutter. Okay. It, it all depends on the wind, whether how many pitches I got, but you know, I use the wind to my advantage, but I've been really, you know, pumping balls into right field. Cause usually that's where they're going to put the worst fielder yeah. and it's low pitch softball. So it doesn't take a lot of talent to be able to just poke the ball over there. I've been doing very well. My batting average is thanking me. I'll tell you, uh, I did play slow pitch softball in one league, and I was with a lot of old dudes. And in one game, one guy popped an Achilles, another guy <laughs> broke his ankle, and another guy blew out his elbow all in one game. And I was like, this team needs to disband right now. This is sad. I literally had to carry a guy off the field for a pop. Imagine going to the doctor and saying, I popped my Achilles playing slow pitch softball. And it's got to be rough. It's kind of embarrassing. It's yeah, very embarrassing. That's... I was embarrassed to be on the team with the guy. <laughs> That's brutal. Hey, Ryan, let's let's take this time right now to just get all the shameless social plugs out of the way. You got to plug the podcast, whatever. Just do it right now. Yeah. So you can follow Locked On Mets wherever you get your podcast. You can find us on YouTube now. Just launched this week. And you can find me on social media at Finkelstein Ryan. That was effective, right? Just nipped it in the bud. I'm I'm used to it, man. Do, Do a lot of guest spots here. So. So Ryan, you wrote an article on JustBaseball.com that I absolutely loved, and it's titled "Years Later: Mets Still Searching for David Wright's Replacement." And the Mets have tried to, I guess, heal the third baseman position. Um, and even in your article, they have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine draft picks at their base in what 15 years how's that been yeah going? i mean that's in the that's in the top 10 rounds but yeah what happens when you have a franchise icon you're not going to be drafting a lot of third base when david wright is a perennial all-star that's just natural but when the guy gets spinal stenosis in 2015 that really impacts the franchise and i think if you really follow the timeline of the last decade people don't really talk about david wright's injury enough because it really did shape how that group of young starting pitchers ultimately panned out because you didn't have your captain the guy that was supposed to be at the tail end of his prime there every day so that was really huge for the Mets they finally have drafted some guys in the top two rounds and Mark Fantos and Brett Beatty so there's a little bit of a promising future but since Wright's gone down it's been Todd Frazier it's been Wilmer Flores Jose Reyes Uh, not a lot of great third baseman and right now you have J.D. Davis who's all bat Louis Guillaume who's all glove kind of hard to get a real answer there where you're talking about a guy that can play both sides like Wright did. You just slandered a Olympic silver medalist, Todd Frazier. That's true. I'm sorry. See, David Wright was a little bit better as a captain America in the world baseball classic when the good players were actually playing in a world competition, as opposed to some guys that are probably like science teachers that just got a chance to get a vacation in Tokyo or wherever the Olympics was. I wasn't even paying attention to Olympics. Honestly, all those games happened at like four o'clock in the morning. The 32nd Olympiad, baby. It was great. It was riveting. Hey, I love the kind of comparison you made to David Wright showing a little bit of his impression on the pitching staff during that peak year, 2014, 2015, the rise of Matt Harvey, the very beginning of Jacob deGrom, Noah Syndergaard pre-injury issues, Zach Wheeler pre-injury issues, and then Steven Matz pre-whatever happened with Steven Matz. (laughs) Mental issues, unfortunately. Yeah. What kind of impact was lost there when you think the injuries fully came into play for David Wright? Yeah, I think there's a huge impact. For one, I mean, just the contributions on the field. But I think even this year, we've seen it with Francisco Lindor, to have that type of a leader, even if they aren't producing offensively, it just it breeds winning. I think baseball is one of the weird sports where you can't really fully measure what all these guys bring to the table. But I'll tell you, from going from Lindor to Jonathan VR, it's a pretty big drop-off in leadership. And I think we've seen it. The Mets have gone on a spiral since Lindor came out of the lineup. So I think that's been huge to not have, or that was huge, to not have right there during those years. In 2016, the Mets were a good team, but the starters got hurt and David Wright wasn't around. And I just don't know what the team would have looked like at all. If, if David Wright had even a Ryan Zimmerman-esque career, Things could have been differently, but could have worked out differently, but they just didn't. And it's unfortunate because if you look at, I think people forget how good David Wright was, you know, 2005 through 2013, the guy was unbelievable. And now everyone just thinks of the injuries. And it's funny. The thing that I feel like people don't really remember about David Wright was the speed. 
Didn't he have like yeah. a bunch of stolen bases out of nowhere? Yeah, in that article, I pulled up a tweet I had from his 20, 2017 or 20, 2007 season. Uh, it was like 30 stolen bases. I think his war was 8.4, 151 WRC+. plus. Gold glove, silver slugger. He was a 5 a player at third base at one point in his career. And so you guys, the Mets just acquired Javier Baez at the deadline. We talked about that. Him and Francisco Lindor are boys. And we'll probably see, I mean, even in your article, you alluded to this, that Jeff McNeil is going to make the move over to third. Do yeah. you like him as a long-term option at third base? Or are you more looking into the future at Mark Vientos, at possibly a Brett Beatty? You know, I actually think Jeff McNeil could handle third base. I think that if you look at his stats, he had a really bad start to last season and they pushed him off the position right away. I think McNeil's a good enough athlete that he could figure it out. There's even some talk right now that maybe they will stick bias at third because McNeil has been so good at second this year. But either way you slice it, I think that the real promise right now is those prospects coming up. For one, they'll be cheap for six years when you get them up there which is really important when you're going to have Lindor making 30 plus a year DeGrom probably gets a bump at a new contract extension soon. So that's going to be important for the Mets. I don't love Javi Baez. I'll just be honest. Yeah. Uh, you know, <laughs> it's, it's one of those things where I'm trying to talk myself into it because I haven't seen something that felt like NBA free agency as much as where the article comes out right before the deadline. I would love to play with Lindor. And then the trade happens. You're like, okay, I think something's happening here. I think a deal's going to get done. I don't love it, but I guess I'll love that infield defense up the middle and I'll just ignore the 300 strikeouts a year. You know, I'm curious. Do you think that if you were to set odds right now at Javi Baez, I almost look at it as the Mets versus the field for where he re-signs, which sucks. Do you think that Francisco Lindor and that contract, that long-term commitment, that Steve Cohen and company made to Frankie Lindor. Like, do you think that's going to have a big selling point to the Mets front office as to whether or not to re-sign Javi Baez? You know, yet Steve Cohen, he's a new owner. He's new at this. Francisco Lindor was his first big move. The first star he got, they have a good relationship. You got to make him happy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, if, if Lindor's not going to your office, bring my guy in. We're going to win. We're going to win. We're going to win. I can see him going for it, but the Mets have to be smart here. If I'm, the front office, I say, Javi, go get yourself a deal and bring it back to us and we'll match. Because I don't think that there is that $250 million contract out there for Javi Baez. So I think, Hell no. you know, a three-year deal for 75, if he gets 25 a year and you get him on a short deal, I'd be okay with it. But I don't, I don't love Javi Baez at all. I'm just trying to get my mind around it because I think it's going to happen. Ryan, if you had $75 million to spend three years, would you actually, like you, the person, would you, if you were the GM, would you give it to Javi Baez? What would you Absolutely not. <laughs> no, no. What I would mean, you give him? How much would I give him? Yeah. I would give him a nice farewell and send him to another team. Um, <laughs> you know, honestly, I, they, they did give up a significant prospect in Pete Armstrong, which is a little bit unfortunate. And because of that, I, I can talk myself into it, like I said, but overall, I think the Mets are fine right now. If you have Jeff McNeil and you have Francisco Lindor and Mark Vientos can be in the big leagues midseason next year, if you got to go one more year and it's Guillaume and you get another stopgap like VR for half a season, that's fine with me. I think J.D. Davis is the really interesting piece here because I don't know if he has any value on the trade market and he's kind of just blocking stuff on the Mets big league roster because the promise of J.D. Davis is, look, this is a guy who can have a 140 WRC plus and with a lot of power, but he is atrocious defensively. He just can't have it. It's like me playing beer league softball. You just don't want me at third base. You don't want JD at third base. So I I don't know what they're going to do at JD, but that's a real big problem here. And that's another thing that I kind of got into a bit with the article. And I also, I have another question too about Kumar Rocker. Oh yeah. That's drafted him in the first round. And that was a big get for him, for them. I mean, Kumar Rocker, at the beginning of the year, we thought he might go 1-1, and then the Mets got to steal him, what, 10th or 11th pick? Yes, 10. 10. And they didn't sign him. Mm-hmm. What happened there? I think that because it's the Mets, because it's Kumar Rocker, there was a lot that was, that was kind of talked about. A lot of, a lot of press got, got paid to this story. But quite frankly, this is not uncommon. You have a guy with some shaky medical history, and the Mets value the number 11 pick in next year's draft more than whatever they saw in that medical history. If he's got a torn up elbow and a torn up shoulder, 
do you really want to give him $6 million instead of getting another crack at the draft next year? So it's unfortunate for Rocker. He's got to sit out for a year. But this is also a Scott Boris issue where he is very protective of his players, the medical history, and he is someone that tries to strong arm ownership. And he got him to the Mets thinking that, all right, this is the landing spot where he can get him the $6 million. And I think it shows strength in the Mets front office that they did their evaluation and said, you know what, we'll pass and we'll take the bad press because they knew that it was going to be a big story. They knew that they weren't going to get off scot-free for making that pick. I think the only thing you could say is they probably whiffed on not having a backup plan later in the draft that they could have paid that overslot money to. That would have made it a lot better. But I'm okay with the move because it gives them a better chance next year to have a good draft and maybe you hit on that pick. Were you shocked that they had that strength to say no? Uh, you know, coming from a child of the Wilpon era, as I am, I'm mm. shocked whenever the Mets do anything competent. So, <laughs> yes, I, I think that, you know, this is a front office that is getting a lot of flack because fans want it all to happen right away. But you got to look at this a little bit longer. And I think the Mets will be a parental contender because they have smart baseball people making smart baseball decisions and they have resources. And that's a pretty good recipe. Eight. Quickly transitioning back to the third base conversation, but also pushing it forward with the catching conversation. Two guys that I think could be in that lineup September of 2022, Brett Beatty, who seems like the answer at third, and then Francisco Alvarez behind the plate. Do you like those two and how they fit into the next six or seven years of Mets baseball? Yeah, I mean, these guys look legit. I think with Alvarez, it's not even a question of his bat. Honestly, if you stick Alvarez in a major league game right now, I think he can get two hits easily. His bat is ridiculous, but it's the defense of actually being an everyday catcher. So I think 2022 might be early for Alvarez. I think they'll let him play out all of next year in the minors. And then 2023, he'll have a chance to, I guess, depending on the CBA, either be a Chris Bryant type guy that gets called up like a month into the season or maybe break camp. I think Beatty and Vientos have a good chance to make the roster next year. I mean, Beatty was an old high school player drafted and he's had a really good year, but he has struggled since getting that promotion to double A. So we'll see if he can kind of round out his season and have a good final month here. And then next year, I'm sure he starts in double A and if he earns a promotion to triple A, we'll see what happens. So the Mets are currently third in the division behind the Braves and the Phillies. As a Mets fan, because as a, as a non-Mets fan, we're both not Mets fans, we don't have this expectation for the team moving forward. So when you look back from April 1st up until now and then looking forward, how do you feel about this season? You know, it's tough because it really depends on where you set your expectations. At the beginning of the year, if you said the Mets would be in this race down the stretch, you'd say, all right, that's not that bad. But if you've watched this division all year and seen how bad it is, this Mets team should still be in first and should have a bigger lead. So I think overall, when you're talking about a franchise that hasn't won the division since 2015, that I think they hadn't had this, their record going into August was the best that it had been in 14 years. So if you look at it under that context, it's been a good year, but considering where they were at the all-star break, this is disappointing. And they're trying to figure it out right now. They're beating up the nationals. Luckily I was, (laughs) I mean, you know, I actually live in South Florida, so Mets Marlins is way too important for me than any other Mets fan. And to see them come into town and lose three or four, I, I've seen that play out my whole life. And so that was pretty, pretty frustrating last week. Ryan, before we let you go, who wins the NL East? I think it's still the Mets, but damn, you, really? I you? think it's still the Mets. I, I think that. Hold on. Hold on. I, Are you sure? Go. <laughs> no no but but this is this is not and honestly if this was me picking from my fandom i would say definitely not the mets because i'd be pessimistic that's what mets fans are yeah but i really don't think that the phillies or the braves are going to be able to keep it together i just for the braves you lose acuna their rotation has been hit with a ton of injuries the phillies i don't trust that bullpen even with ian kennedy the new closer I just think that the Mets on paper are still the best team. And if Jacob DeGrom comes back in September, that's going to provide a big lift. Huh. Not too bad. with you about the Phillies. I think they can get over the bullpen woes. We, uh, I want to note, I want to I mean, Didi Gregorius is still playing shortstop for them. So (laughs) he's not just not that good at defense. I want to know your opinion on this because 
Jack and I have done a couple episodes about our uh, AL or NL MVP pick or NL Cy Young pick. We have Zach Wheeler winning it in the National League, and we have Bryce Harper winning the American League MVP. No, American League NL MVP. I mess up every time. NL MVP. Well, give me your reaction to that. Well, I mean, I wrote an article for Just Baseball talking about Zach Wheeler as a Cy Young candidate. So I, I do think that he is the guy right now. He is the workhorse of a team that is angling to win a division. I think if the Phillies win the division also, that's going to be a big boost in his Cy Young chances. I don't see who else gets it right now because Jacob DeGrom is not going to have enough starts. I guess there's a couple guys in Milwaukee who have had really good years, but I think Wheeler's got a great chance. And when it comes to Bryce Harper, I mean, is he going to keep it up? If he is, yeah, why not? But he's very streaky, so he could also have an awful September. I think we've seen that before too. Ryan Finkelstein, appreciate you, man. We will have you right back on here when the Phillies win the NL East. <laughs> Looking forward to it. Good conversation with Ryan Finkelstein. And now we just switch gears right now. We go to Arm Layton and we talk about some hitting prospects. Yeah. So the thing with Duran is that his speed is off the charts, right? Like he's somebody that was drafted literally because of the fact that he is one of the best athletes in the nation when he was playing college ball. So the power, that was never a thing for him. There was hope that he would finally maybe fall into average to fringe average power, but there was always a little bit of hope there because of the bat speed. But even on the worst case scenario, you thought maybe you're looking at a fourth outfielder. This wasn't a guy that was drafted in the first round. He was a seventh rounder, if I'm not mistaken. But with Duran, the Red Sox kept saying there's power in there. There's power in there. But three home runs in his collegiate career it was hard to see that. Then all of a sudden, he has this power surge where he hits 15 home runs and about 50 games in AAA. And it wasn't just something out of nowhere, though. He was working on it really hard at the alternate training site and really working on lifting the ball, getting more into his lower half, just being able to hit the ball with authority. Because I think for his whole career, he probably figured the way he's going to get to the big leagues is slap the ball over the field and trust his elite speed, which is a great, great component. But that makes you a fourth outfielder unless you can hit, you know, just ridiculously well. And there was always a little swing and miss in the game for him. So now that he can hit for some power, that's really giving him a lot more projection and putting less pressure on the hit tool, which is still solid. So I'm excited about Duran. I do think that it's going to be hard for him to be an everyday player right now, just jumping into the big leagues now that he's just had this breakthrough. But I think his speed in the playoffs, we always see, I always say Gerard Dyson, he can have that Gerard Dyson type role and he's still a lefty bat off the bench that can leave the yard. That's really fast. And maybe he kind of hits his stride here in the second half, but he's still adjusting to the big leagues and uh, it's understandable. And talking about adding some power, a couple guys, one you wrote about Salvador Perez's replacement, possibly one day, um, and MJ Melendez, the catcher for the Royals, the 22-year-old who's in 285 with 28 jacks. But also your boy, Griffin Conine, has what, 29 now? I think he's still the 30 last 30, night. 30 last night. These two guys have just, they won't stop hitting balls out of the ballpark. First, before you get into your boy Griffin, can you talk to us about what you've seen from MJ Melendez and how possibly do you think that he could be the replacement for Salvador Perez? Well, something you've pointed out a few times is that Salvi's defense is, is taking a hit this year. Bad. Right? The worst in baseball right now. Yeah, he's terrible defensively, but he rakes. He absolutely right. rakes, and he's the heart and soul of that team. So I really think Melendez could be that catcher now because he's great defensively. He was always viewed as a guy that – had the the glove was way ahead of the bat, but he had a ton of raw power. So it was almost like that Mike Zanino type of profile, but there was always hope that he'd have more of a hit tool than, you know, what he was showing early on. And he started to show that, and then he hit a wall, fell flat on his face in high A. He struck out nearly 40% of the time. He hit a buck 63, I believe. And I really think for him, I think it was mental. I, I know there was some inconsistencies with his swing, but he was way too talented to hit 163. I think it just really started to pile on him. He was also working on the catching, working on the defense, which has come a long way. And I think he's an above average defender, but he really had to go back to square one and, and strip the swing. His father is the head coach at FIU, Merville Melendez. And the funny tie-in with Griffin is that Griffin's father, Jeff, who of course we, we know very well, uh, is now on that coaching staff as well. So it's a nice little friendly competition for the minor league home run leader between them two. And uh, Griffin has a one home run lead. But to answer your question, I love Melendez's defense. He earns really high marks for you know his makeup, which makes sense. His dad's a college coach. 
And he made those tweaks with his swing. This is for real. I mean, it's not like his, his strikeout rate dropped 10%. It dropped in half. He halved yeah. it, you know, and he's hitting for way more power than he ever did. I really believe he made some tweaks with the swing, nothing crazy. And then it really just connected with him mentally and approach wise. And we're really seeing that come out now. We'll talk about your boy Griffin. I mean, oh, give yeah, him obviously. some love. Obviously, got to give Griff a little love. So uh, Griffin, man, like that, that I can attest to, like, personally, kid has worked so damn hard, man. I mean, during quarantine, uh, built a batting cage in his backyard, just hit, hit, hit. And, you know, he's got his dad out there that's always willing to, to throw to him. He doesn't listen to his dad maybe as much as he should, uh, given <laughs> that was a 17-year vet and two-time All-Star. But uh, he does, you know, with the really important things, which, again, is, is in your head. And, and Griffin is somebody that obviously hits as many home runs as anybody. He's hit, I think now it's 53 home runs in his last 164 games or something like that. Like, it's absurd. Not too bad. It's not bad at all, but yeah. he strikes out. And that's something that people love to, to cite to say like, hey, he's not going to make it because he strikes out. But the thing is, is he is hit at every single level, despite the strikeouts. And he, he'll he be the first one to tell you, I don't want to strike out as much. Like I'm working on it. And he has made a lot of improvements in that regard. Uh, but I think a lot of it also is just, it comes with the territory. People like to compare him to Joey Gallo. And you look at the production in the minors, I think it's pretty comparable. I really believe that, that Griffin, and I'm biased of course, but with what he can do physically, I mean, he's hitting balls over 450 feet, uh, which is confirmed from Pensacola. And he's hitting balls, you know, all over the yard. It just, I look at him, I see a big leaguer. I don't know about you. I'm again, I'm biased, but I like to think I have at least some sort of reasonability and you know, you're my friend and by association friends with Griffin, but you, you're going to look at it through a different lens. He just exudes big leaguer to me. I will say one thing. I don't think you're being too biased because I actually really do think that you'll be correct. I like the Joey Gallo comp because Joey Gallo gets flack for striking out a lot, but he's also one of the better defensive right fielders, even just fielders in baseball. He has a cannon yeah. of an arm, with which Griffin does too. Oh, yeah. If you told me that Griffin turned out to be Joey Gallo, the guy who was in the home run derby and an all-star, like that's a pretty good comp. And I feel like you're almost looking at it as a slight, and it's like, if that's the comp, it's pretty good. And then what I also wanted to say is, when I met him at your house, I mean, baseball body. What can we oh my God, Jack, did he? Jack. He's, like he's, he walks in, you're like, oh, this is my boy Griffin. I was like, oh, my, that's a major leaguer. Like, he yeah, show me that's a major leaguer. I mean, his body, he's chiseled. He just looks like a beast. It, it's it's one of those things where we used to hang out in high school and I would want to just chill and do what anything that a normal 15 year old would want to do. And he's like, what's a lift? I'm like, huh. no. 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 So the amount of times I would go in his gym and just sit there and watch him lift. I'm just like, you're crazy. Well, there's a reason why I'm talking about him and he's freaking playing right. Other than the God given gifts, but also he works really hard. And I, I think what people don't realize, and this is something that is really hard to be able to see as a fan. And even as, as guys who cover baseball, like yourself and I, there's so much that goes into the mental side of it. And you know, a lot of these guys, they don't have the the baseball acumen to make adjustments. Some guys, it's seaball, hit ball, and you, they, that's great for them. But for other guys, they can really work through things in their approach. And uh, when you're somebody like Griffin that gets pitched to really carefully and uh, just does not see a lot of fastballs, Griffin really studies the game. And I really think that, that – and Melendez does the same thing. His father's a coach. I mean, those guys really studied the game, studied the guys that did it really well, the movements they make at the plate, their approach, uh, the way that they leverage certain counts. All those little things matter, and uh, you don't know the difference from one player to another. That's why I always say no two strikeout rates are the same uh, because you got guys that walk more. you got guys that strike out in different situations. And I, I think that's where we see Griff. In certain situations, he shortens up. But I will say he, he does get a little bit trigger happy sometimes where he just wants to hit the ball a million feet. Um, and, you know, he, he does it quite often, but you're also going to miss a little bit. It just comes with the territory. And the guy doesn't even eat birthday cake. Nope, nope, no. Nope, will not eat cake at my birthday ever, ever. <laughs> you got to tell that story real quick. <laughs> yeah, I mean, every single time. It's, it's every year. We, we have he, – he will not eat anything that has too much sugar in it. You just – it's nuts and trail mix and avocado toast. I mean, you guys would get along great. I'm a big um, avocado toast. Guy. Oh, he loves his juices too. He loves his juice. So you guys would get along great, but you know, even special occasions, it's my birthday and my mom cuts him a piece and he's like, no, I'm like, <laughs> like, sorry, I'm good. I'm like, are you serious, dude? Like just have a bite. He's like, no, it's like, like it's poison. 
can you enlighten me on my Yankees for a little bit? Because you wrote about Anthony Volpe, the guy that the Yankees took in the first round. What was it back in 27 or no, 2019 out of Del Barton yes. High School in Jersey. And actually he played with Jack Leiter. Yep. And he was a really good prospect. Tell me what you've seen from Volpe so far. Yeah, you know, I've been so impressed with him. And also that's just not a fair high school team. But oh, you know, Volpe and Leiter, like, oh, those two guys can me? win you a game by themselves. And Leiter raked too. Leiter raked too in high school. So it's just, it was just dumb. But with Volpe, man, you know, he was somebody that to me was – seemed like a really safe pick yeah, at the time, right? Good defender, good athlete, good bat to ball skills, but you were kind of like, okay, what's his impact going to be? Is, is this just your average run of the mill type of shortstop, which is fine. If you're getting on the back end of the first round, that's great. Uh, but you also just wondered what the ceiling would be. And I hate to put, uh, I, I hate to confine high school prospects for this exact reason. But when you looked at him, you just saw a 510, what is he want? 510, 170 at the time or whatever. And you're just like, okay, how much of an impact can he make on the baseball? And he's come out. He's, it's not like he's just become Jason Dominguez, but I think he's put on some really good strength. And he's also, again, gotten his swing to allow for more backspin, allow for extra base hits. And I was thinking maybe that'll be more gap to gap, but he's leaving the yard now, like pretty easily. And I think it's really, it's not like he's hitting 450 foot bombs, but he's got enough juice to leave the yard and he's comfortable spraying it all over the field. I think all of a sudden, this was a guy that had like 40, 30, 40 grade raw power. Now you got to put him at average to above average raw power because of the fact that he hits enough to tap into it. This is another guy that really attacks the right pitches, knows what to do with them. But I think the floor was already super high with the defense. He, he's no doubt sticking it short, as you know. Yeah. Uh, above average runner. It's hard. You can't gauge the stolen base numbers in low and low A and high A because of all the stupid rules uh, that go on to pickoffs. But he's a guy that's going to steal backs 100%. He's, he's savvy on the base paths above average runner. And then you add in now this uptick of power. If he's hitting 15 home runs a year with the defense speed and everything else he provides – you're looking at a really darn good shortstop because the hit tool is for real. No doubt about it. I mean, he wastes tough pitches. He is comfortable in two strike counts. You don't really see him press at all. And he always looks the same. I I'm really impressed with his, uh, I, I would just say his, his professional ability at the plate for a guy that was just drafted out of high school and didn't play in 2020. As we wrap up, I mean, leave us with a hammer. Who do you think Anthony Volpe reminds you of in baseball right now? The classic Ooh. pro comp question. Because I'm, I'm thinking about a lot of short subs because he did steal 26 bags, but we both know that in the minor leagues, stolen base numbers don't tell the whole side of the story because it's so easy now to steal bags. So you I think, and I would have 20 bags, I think. Exactly. So right now he has 26 <laughs> bags. Is he a 2020 guy? Is he a 30-30 guy? I don't know. So I, I don't really Yankee know Stadium, who to compare man. him to. He could be a 2020 guy in Yankee Stadium because, again, like – he, he's somebody that drives the ball gap to gap so yeah, well. Gap, gap, so gap. I, I could see him just, just leaving the yard with those 10 row deep, five, 10 row deep homers, line drives. Uh, Cause he's getting that loft. Now he's getting that carry that I didn't think he was going to have. I think before he was more of that level plane, just line drive approach. And he hasn't abandoned that, but I think when he's two Oh, he's okay. Taking a bit more of a hack. And I think that is something that has allowed him to produce more. <laughs> You're going to laugh, but I honestly see, um, and, and like a current comp, yeah, Miguel Rojas. I could see a Miggy Rowe comp here because you know, I you know, honestly, I bro, it's it. not I, a bad Miggy comp. Rowe is, Miggy Rowe is not bad. He's, He's a top bad. ten shortstop in baseball. Top ten, come on, top ten. I'll, I'll go at this with you, okay? But let, let me go a little bit higher then, because that the reason why I said Miggy Rowe is I'm the fine hit with tool. that comp though. I don't, I plus, don't plus that defender, good hit tool. Comp. Yeah, plus defender, good hit tool. Uh, really really good athlete well-rounded I, I think he could be better than that obviously but I think that's kind of the most likely scenario I think he could be a more athletic version of that which is which is great Rojas is criminally underrated and yes. uh, we, we've gone at this before but I, I think he would be a more athletic version of that and that's pretty darn valuable I, there's is, not really a, a shortstop with that profile right now because you look at the shortstop position it's either a uh, big swing and miss, but like a great athlete, you know, like a, like a Javier Baez, like a Javier Baez, or you look at even a Correa is too powerful to compare to him. Uh, even a Tatis swings and misses a bit too much. He's not going to do that, but also has way more power. So it's like, what, what are you comparing this guy to? I don't know if there's that well-rounded shortstop type because you go like Jose Brandon, Brandon Crawford, possibly Brandon I mean, Crawford, Crawford is, is, not, a, is a very 
like that's a big comp. Brandon Crawford's yeah. really good. I think Brandon Crawford could be that ceiling. I, I think something between Brandon Crawford and Miguel Rojas is a really likely scenario there. And that's a damn good shortstop. That's that could be your with a good team around him, that could be your cornerstone shortstop for a decade if he's between Crawford and Rojas. I mean, Crawford hasn't gone anywhere in San Francisco for a good reason. And Rojas in this latter half of his career has been spectacular. And the Marlins, you know, are really happy with him. So between those two, that that's a great outcome. And I think it's very feasible. One more question. I know I said, I wrap up, but I do, I, I want, I want an answer on this because I'm in between right now. Oswald Peraza, Anthony Volpe, two prospects in the Yankee system that are both having really good years, both potential shortstop prospects with the ability to move around the infield a little bit. We think Volpe is going to stay at short, but Peraza can play second, possibly play third. Who do you like better? If if you're the Yankees, it was at the trade deadline. Maybe it's the off season. You're looking to not trade one. Who is that? Honestly, man, I mean, Peraza's gone to, to double A now and is holding his own too. I, I do like Peraza, but I think with Volpe's guarantee to stick it short and now this, this incoming power, given that he still can add some more strength, I think Volpe, you know, we talk about what he could be. He could exceed that though. With Peraza, another high floor guy, but I don't know if you can dream on Peraza as much. And while I really like the fact that he can play second base, I really think Peraza projects more as a second baseman. I love Volpe because it's so hard to find a safe bet to stick it short and then also hits. Yeah. I, I, I'd pick Volpe and, and I I've been really impressed with him, but Pera- that's not a slight of Peraza whatsoever. Be, and I don't take that, it that that's either. a, that's a thumbs up on Volpe, but Peraza has been spectacular. The Yankee system, bro. Like so what good. the yeah. hell it went, it's probably one of the fastest rising systems and they didn't add anybody. They, they subtracted guys really, but they've had so many players perform and make this next massive step this year. It's been amazing to see that you, you got to give the thumbs up to the Yankees development system. I mean, in the entire minor leagues, they're second in wins across all levels, just second to the Rays. I mean, if you, if you ask that, at the beginning, Hey, where do you think our minor league teams are going to finish in the win column? They'd probably say uh, probably 15th, 12th. And, and, and not two. right there, right there with the Rays is, is, is it, that matters, right? Because I think minor league wins and losses, you're like, yeah, whatever. But if the but, Rays are number one, it's because they're loaded with talent with every team. And the Yankees have a ton of depth. It's really impressive how many guys that I was looking at this year saying, okay, these guys could go either way. Let's see how they do. And a majority of them have gone the right way. It's just amazing. We'll go listen outside the box with Jeff Conine and Arm. Thank you, bro, for coming on. I love talking Always. prospects. We could literally talk baseball all every single day. All the, I mean, we do. We just don't we record it every do. single time. Yeah. <laughs> this is just us recording our conversations. Essentially. Exactly. But also uh, we got it. We'll get the mailbag rolling again soon and Absolutely. some other stuff. Twitch, Twitch is rocking. Maybe we'll start doing the mailbag on Twitch. A lot of stuff coming about. So you don't have to thank me ever. I mean, <laughs> we're talking baseball, bro, but I know that's like the podcast formality. Podcast so thank, format. thank you for having me. Because Jack always makes fun of me because I'm not that good at transitioning. You know, I just talk baseball. They're weird. At the, at the cool broadcasting. Oh, Jack, Jack's smooth with the transition. Sometimes I'm like, uh, thank you. Thank you. So that's how we'll end it with an awkward thank you. Thanks for having me. Ryan, Aram, we talked young guys. We talked Mets. We talked whatever Aram wanted. We talked old guys. Talk. David Wright, old guys. David Wright, old guy. <laughs> you just posed a, a stupid question to me. I, I don't even not, think not it's that stupid. stupid. Chris Bassett, you asked if he gets Cy Young votes. My knee-jerk reaction was no. I think he finishes like ninth or 10th in AL Cy Young voting maybe. And you said fourth. I think he could finish in the top five of AL Cy Young voting this year. And I'll tell you why. First, he just threw six shutout innings today against the Cleveland Indians, Guardians, whatever you want to call them. I don't care. What I do care about is that he has a 3.06 ERA up to this point now. He has 155 strikeouts in about 153 innings. He's probably the best pitcher for the Oakland Athletics who might make the playoffs. I think if the A's do make the playoffs and they're able to outlast the Rays or the Red Sox or the Yankees or the Blue Jays or whoever that wildcard team is, and they're able to get in there. 
I wouldn't be shocked if Chris Bassett is one of those names that you hear being called when they're doing the AL signing voting. I'm just saying his numbers look really good and he's been really, really strong for an athletics team that has a bunch of good starters, but he's been the best. Damn, Chris Bassett, maybe. Okay, how about this? Who gets, about more, this? Who gets more Cy Young votes, Chris Bassett or Shohei Otani? Chris Bassett does. You think so? Cy Young votes? Yes. Yeah. Chris Bassett or Robbie Ray? That's a good one. Because Robbie Ray has been really good for the Blue Jays this year. I would say Chris Bassett. Chris Bassett or Hyunjin Ryu? Chris Bassett. Wow. Interesting. Hmm. I'm not saying they're better. I'm saying this season, I think Chris Bassett will get Cy Young votes over all of those players you named. Can we keep going? Let's keep naming names. I want to tell you who I think is better. No, no, no. Here's the deal. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to figure out a way to kind of bet on this because I know you're a gambling man. You're 16 over your last 20. Thank you. Yeah, no problem. Subtle drop right there. And as this podcast has continued, the game Cubs Brewers has not gone over yet. Good. Still 5-1 in the fifth. Good. We're, We're chilling. Do you want to take top five and I'll take outside of the top five or do you want top six? Can I have top six? Just give me a little caveat. It's Chris yeah. Bassett of the Oakland A's. Yeah, you can have top six. All right. I'll take top six. Can I get some value on that? Yeah, we're not going to set a line. What do you want to... We're not betting money. What do you want to bet? Let's bet... Okay. At the end of the season, our first podcast episode after the end of the season, after the voting is done, has to dress. I'll have to wear a White Sox jersey with a White Sox hat, or you'll have to wear a Yankees jersey with a Yankees hat during our first episode after the voting takes place. Dude, I'm willing to sell my soul to any person that wants to pay us to podcast. Like, I will gladly wear a Yankees jersey. That's not too hard. I'll do it. How about this? How about we break for the weekend, put our feet up, chill, watch some baseball. We come back and I come up with a better and more creative bet for us. What? I like that bet. You don't like that bet? I want you, I want to, you know, I think the it's reason lazy. why I want to see you in a Yankee jersey and a Yankee hat. I That's think what I want to see. I think it's lazy. We'll think about it. Fine. All right. Have a good weekend, everyone. Thank you, everybody. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.